I want to welcome you today to Women of Substance. I have a very, very special guest who's who's just tremendously close to my heart, and her name is Jane Horton. Um, she is the daughter-in-law of David and Cherie Horton. And of course, David is my present husband, and Cherie is uh, David's late wife. They uh, have a wonderful son, Christopher Horton, who was killed in Afghanistan, of course, Jane's husband. And she took this tragedy, she took this horrible situation and turned it into such opportunity to help others. She has been working for 10 years and has just done tremendous things for the military families as an advocate, uh, a policymaker. She's even presently working on Capitol Hill. She uh, has been the uh, senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense um, for worked three, almost three and a half years in the Pentagon, done trips to Afghanistan. There's been six trips over there and uh, worked tirelessly really to help Gold Star families. So she's going to tell us more details about all this. And I think you will really be impressed. And I want you to be, I want you to be empowered and, and uh, I want her courage and her boldness to, um, to influence you also, because uh, she started this journey as a very young widow at age 24 and has done, again, tremendous things for the military. So listen to this and be encouraged. Well, I want to welcome you today to Women of Substance, and I, I'm, this is a great day for me because I get to interview someone very special to my heart, and it's David and Cherie Horton's daughter-in-law, um, my husband and his late wife, and we welcome Jane. Thank you for having me, Scarlett. It's great to have you. She gets to stay with us this week. <laughs> so I said, please do an interview with me. <laughs> I know that it's going to inspire you and empower you today. So I want you to listen to everything Jane says. She is just done amazing work and um, turned a really horrible situation, the loss of her husband. And she'll tell you about that, that tragic situation into an opportunity to help military families and especially advocates. She advocates for the Gold Star families and has done this for how many years? Uh, almost 10 years now. 10 years and just still doing it. Jane, I know that uh, you and Chris kind of dated kind of fast and got married. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So I met Chris when we were 18 and 19. We were both going to a teeny little school in the Empire State Building. And we did a couple events together that he had invited me to. But it was never any, like, dating in college. We were just friends. Honestly, Chris... um he was a little different in college. He was very set on politics and doing some stuff there. And so we didn't get very close then, but we stayed in touch. And a couple years later, around 2008, we started talking about the election. And two months later, we were engaged. It was very, very quick. Mm -hmm. We both just kind of knew. Um, Chris was, he had already joined the Oklahoma National Guard. He wanted to be an army sniper. He was actually recruited into the army to do something called Team AMU, Army Marksmanship Unit. 
which is the team that goes to the Olympics. Oh. And so he decided, you know, if I'm that good at shooting, I want to use my skills to serve my country overseas during wartime. And he used to always say, when I have kids one day, I want to be able to tell them when my country needed me, I went. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a man of honor. He loved America more than anyone I ever met. And so he had joined the military already. And I was okay with that. I knew that was his heart. And um, yeah, so we got engaged. We were 21 and 22. And Mm -hmm. we got married a year later. Isn't that something? And then tell me about his service and how that happened. Yeah. Um, so he did a lot of different schools while we were married. He actually, we got engaged in between, he had already signed up to join the military, I think in March of 08. And March of 08 was when we started dating. And then he had already joined the Oklahoma National Guard. Um, but he hadn't gone to basic yet. So Mm -hmm. he went to basic that winter and it was really cute actually. David and Cherie would get letters. I actually lived with them for a while while we were engaged. They had a like garage apartment that I lived in while Chris was gone for a couple months. And so he would send me a letter every single day. Mm. Um, and so Chris wasn't the most romantic type. So it meant a lot that he would write me every single day. Sure. And pour his heart out to me, tell me how he was doing, what happened for the day. Um, and so, yeah, he went to basic training, graduated. I surprised him. It was pretty fun. Um, he got something called a blue, a blue infantry cord. So he wanted to be infantry, which means your front lines. Um, and so you wear this blue cord and I got to put it on him, which was a dream oh, of his. Yeah, nice. it was really special. And so the following year in August, we got married, um, August 2009 and he went to sniper school that year, graduated at the top of his class and was preparing for his first deployment to Afghanistan. I went off to Washington, D.C. Um, as an intern for our senator from Oklahoma. And, you know, Chris and I knew he'd be fine. We knew nothing would happen to him. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. And so then, tell, tell continue <laughs> your story. So September 9, 2011 was about three months into um, his deployment. I had just gotten home from Washington, D.C. to Oklahoma. We had already had seven service members killed from his unit, mm. um, which nobody had told me anything before the deployment. Nobody had told David and Cherie anything. We didn't know how dangerous it would be. And it was one after the other after the other. Um, Chris was still very, um, very valiant in his mannerisms and his character and just his demeanor is mm. the word I meant to use. His demeanor while he was deployed, he... So it was very stoic and very strong. And he did lose one of his very good friends on August mm. 2nd, 2011, um, Staff Sergeant Kirk Owen. And so that was the first time I saw a little bit of emotion out of him, but I yeah. still knew he would be fine. And what people don't realize is I used to sleep with my laptop on my chest every night because we didn't have, we had cell phones, but we didn't have iPhones back then. Yeah. And he would write me at nighttime because that was his daytime. And so it was hard for me to sleep when my husband was fighting in a war, you know, during our nighttime while we in America sleep peacefully in our beds at night. And so we would talk every, every other day or every so often when he wasn't out on a mission. And I missed him very much. I was very excited to be in Washington, DC. Chris never got to make it there. Mm -hmm. Um, But he loved politics even more than I do. So he would have loved it. And so I was back in Oklahoma. I was still going to college. Um, and I 
was making a care package for his birthday. It was about to be his 27th birthday. And there's these little cakes in a jar that you can make that make it to Afghanistan, stay fresh and sealed. So I had another military spouse over and I got a knock at the door. And I remember looking at her and being like, you know, we love knocks at the door sarcastically. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew it wasn't anything. And it was. It was two two uniformed service members there to tell me that Chris had been killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously my first thought was, you know, this life is no longer about me. It's about telling people about those who are willing to fight, bleed, and die for their country. And also my husband is in heaven. You know, we Mm -hmm. all know that as Christians, that our loved ones that are Christians go to heaven, but to actually think my spouse is now on the other side. He's now with Jesus. It's just, just blows your mind. It's incomprehensible. Um, and yeah, obviously lots more emotions than that. Um, you know, when they notify you, they tell you, I'm just going to tell you what they say. They say, we're sorry to inform you. Your husband was killed September 9th, 2011. I think. They said 7 a.m., which would have been 4 p.m. Afghanistan time. And they said he was killed from a gunshot wound to the head. Mm. And that's all I knew. And so then I had to make the decision um, on how to tell his parents. And so that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I'm sure. Yeah. So you came over that night. I did. So I made the decision to bring the military with me. But I went to the door first. Wow, it's weird. Ten years later, it's still. Yeah. But yeah, I remember David answered the door, and I just said, "Your husband, your son, was killed." Mm. So yeah, it's just like you don't really want to believe it. You can't believe it, and it seems so impossible. And yeah. all those things going through your mind, and and I'm sure as a young person, because you were what twenty six, twenty four, twenty four, yeah, that it's unimaginable being a widow at that age. You know? Yeah. No, it is. And a military death, especially killed in action, is so rare. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of Americans don't understand that. But we've deployed two million to Iraq and Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan alone, we've lost about 2,400, which mm-hmm. is, you know, less than like 0.001%. You know, his chances of dying were very, very slim. And to lose someone in war when we're in America at peace is just, uh there's, it's, indescribable yeah well you know uh one of the I, I admire you for many reasons but one of i think the main reason that i admire jane so is at that point of course y'all went through you know the, a lot of ceremony and um yeah. christopher was buried in arlington and had uh you know many i don't know what, what would you call them T- times where yeah Memorial ceremonies, yeah. times to honor him. Right. That went on for what, a month? Yeah, it's about a month and a half till he was even buried. So it's a long, long process as well. It's, you know, there's the knock at the door and then me, David and Cherie, and I brought my sister with me and Chris's best friend, actually, Tyler. We flew to Dover, Delaware to get his body back from Afghanistan. Then there's getting like what was on him when he was killed, getting his personal effects. Um, then there's another dignified transfer called when he comes back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So we had to have a big ceremony with that. And then the funeral. Um, and then you fly him to Arlington. There's another ceremony mm-hmm. and then you bury him. So it's a long, long process. process. Yeah. And um, 
you know, my admiration for you is that you really turned this situation into uh, helping and reaching out to others when I think sometimes we can close up and really feel sorry, you know, for ourselves, which you, okay, that would be all right too, you know, but you really stepped out and have worked so hard. We've seen you work. We know how you work, Jane. I mean, she was on the phone before this podcast working and, and, and comforting and helping and doing what you do so well. And, um, I, I just love that courage because it's so easy to lay down and kind of die with a person that you love. And you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You did and have done things, um, in memory of him that have really helped so many families. And I just want to say to our listening audience, you know, if you can let the Lord help you turn tragedy into uh, a, a blessing and opportunity to reach out to others, it it really makes, I think it makes your life worthwhile. And then the person who's gone on, I think it makes their life worthwhile. Don't you? I agree. And that's what kept me going too, is, you know, knowing that people would never, not some of the audience will have met Chris because they know David and Tree. Yeah. And know you, but the average person that meets me will never know Chris, but they'll know Chris based off of me and who he married. Yeah. And what an honor, what a responsibility. And it's something I never forgot about. And that, you know, he was willing to give his life for me and for all of us. He was only 26 when he was killed. So yeah, anything I can do to carry on his legacy um, has been a great honor. Yeah. And you've done a lot. Let's talk about some of those things. Now, how long after all of that happened, did you move to Washington? You moved to Washington, D.C. I did. So I moved. It was about a year after. I just knew. And I remember being scared to death, but I felt in my heart it was 100% where I was supposed to be. And I actually knew that when I was an intern when Chris was deployed and I told him and he said, if I get a good job there, we would move (laughs) to DC. And so he was really excited to visit. And I just told him I'm supposed to be here. This is where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, as a young widow, losing your husband in war, you know, you have many choices, but not really, you know, you can either stay home and it's kind of like, feels like he's still deployed. You can pretend that he's going to come home one day or, just live the same life. And I knew I couldn't do that. I knew I either had to start swimming or I would just sink. And it's been, you know, a long, long, painful process of healing. But yeah, I just knew God told me you need to go to DC. And I didn't have a job. I didn't have a house Mm. there. My house didn't sell. I didn't really know anyone. Like Mm. I was an intern before, you know, there's no power in being an intern. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, I'm going to go. And I remember a mentor of mine that I love deeply told me, like, don't go until you have a job. Like, don't just move to D.C. And I was like, no, I'm going. So I went and just started knocking on doors. And then what happened? Uh, I met with the on the one year anniversary of Chris's death, which was right before I moved. Um, I met with the chief of staff of the Army at the time, General Ray Odierno, which the chief of staff of the Army is a four-star general that's the head of the entire Army. There's one civilian called the Secretary of the Army, which outranks him, but he's the highest uniform officer in the United States Army. Mm. And so I'd actually met him when I was an intern in Congress. I've always had this uh, pretty outgoing personality, not really 
um, afraid to approach people. And so when I was an intern, I met him at his hearing before the United States Senate to become the chief of staff of the army. And I said hi to him and I told him, you know, my husband, Chris, is deployed in Afghanistan. And he said, um, you know, he stopped. He's like six foot seven. He was huge. Oh my. He just passed away, unfortunately. But oh. he he asked me to be on his advisory board. So to help him write policy for Families of the Fallen and Gold Star Families. And, you know, it was such an honor. Chris was an amazing man. But because of his, uh, you know, he's just a normal soldier. So to be advising the head of the entire army just was such an honor and such a God thing. And that's kind of how it started. I also started knocking on the doors of Congress, asking for people to meet with me. Um, I met with the deputy secretary of defense. So the number two in the entire Pentagon, uh, the next year, I met him in the white house at an event. His name was Ash Carter. And he asked me to come in and brief him. And I didn't even know at the time, like, what is the deputy secretary of defense? And so it just kind of grew from there. And I've just always trusted God with what should be done. And, um, yeah. It's just amazing. And I love the step of faith that she took. Um, you just stepped out and you knew the Lord wanted you to do that. And, uh, you know, God's word's powerful when he tells us something. He makes the way to happen for it to happen. But in the flesh, it can be a little scary just moving to a city and not, like you said, not having a job or a place to live or just going. Yep. Especially and, Washington, D.C. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but it has really benefited so many people. And um, I'd like to talk about for a minute something that I was privileged to be involved in. And that's when last year, when uh, uh, Jane has made a Gold Star Family Memorial display. It was just the first one for Gold Star Families in the Pentagon. Lovely, beautiful display. And um, I think it changes, doesn't it? It features different ones who've lost their loved one. And um, then even some of you know from Saving Private Ryan that the Sullivan family Mm -hmm. was is honored there as well. So um, we were called and asked, David was asked to do the uh, invocation for this dedication of this display. And we went to the Pentagon. First time I'd ever been to the Pentagon. (laughs) And it's just amazing. I mean, just to walk in the doors. It is. Oh, it's really something. It's like a museum of its own, you know. And uh, I tell you, I came out a lot more patriotic than I went in. It meant a lot to me, and it changed me. Um, but there was such a beautiful ceremony there with uh, General Mark Milley, and he invited us to his office, which was a great honor. And because of Jane introducing us to him, we got to talk with him and uh just a beautiful time wasn't it it was so i worked in the pentagon for three years as you know as a um, senior advisor the secretary of defense and i did multiple different things for gold star families i also did some stuff for service members um i did part of the portfolio for brain health so what we don't realize many times as civilians is that service members, the effects of their job have a deep impact on their brain. So Mm -hmm. most of us at this point have heard of PTSD, or Mm -hmm. we call it PTS now, post-traumatic stress, um, take the disorder part off of it. But a lot of that, um, it's unproven so far, but seems pretty on point, is physiological. So instead of psychological, a lot of it is the effects of blast exposure, heavy weaponry, like even a sniper rifle like Chris carried. Once you shoot it, 
the effect that has on your brain, especially over time, is very severe. And so a lot of service members can't think straight. They don't know what's wrong with them. They can't, um, you know, it's not being diagnosed correctly. So did some work on that. And then I also noticed that a lot of people don't know what a Gold Star family is. And so Gold Star family is a family, immediate family. So mom, dad, sister, brother, husband, wife, son, daughter um, of a service member killed in combat, killed in action. And so they give us this little gold star pin. Um, and the origins of that was World War One. Families used to hang up uh, blue star banners that said they had a loved one deployed. And you could see that in the front of their window or their business. And whenever they would be killed, they would change it to gold. And so for me, you know, if I don't wear that pin or if I don't have that flag, you know, nobody will know about Chris. And I don't want people to see me wearing that for me or to feel bad for me. But there's a life behind that pin. There's a life behind that star. And that was Chris. And so in the Pentagon, there was really nothing, first of all, telling the public when they came for tours what the meaning of that was. And I had a dream for a while to put something up that educated the public on what that is. But Mm -hmm. also I wanted to show the public that Gold Star families are strong. You know, back in World War One, widows were on the front lines, wrapping bodies, helping being nurses. And Mm -hmm. in these wars, there hasn't really been much for us. And so that's kind of been one of the things that's been on my heart to champion is like, I can work in the Pentagon. I can go to Afghanistan. We can do these things, which brings me to the five Sullivan brothers. So back in World War II, um, there was five brothers out of Waterloo, Iowa, five Sullivan brothers. And so they joined the Navy um, in honor of their friends that were killed in Pearl Harbor. And so all five of them were aboard the USS Juno, and they were all killed by a Japanese torpedo. Mm -hmm. And so what's so amazing about their story is the day Thomas and Alita Sullivan found out that they lost all five of their boys, they went back to work on the railroad because they knew they were imperative to get the troops what they needed to continue the war. Mm -hmm. And so they went around for about a year after and sold war bonds, did whatever they could do to help. And there's so many families that are doing things to continue their loved one's legacy. And it's important because survivor's guilt is a real thing. Yeah. Um, and service members need to see, you know, that we are strong, that we are continuing to serve alongside them. And that was kind of the impetus of the display. So it may sound like cute, a display in the Pentagon, but it's actually a really big deal to put yes. something up in the Pentagon. It can take years. Yeah. And I was very um, adamant that it was going to go right in the center. And they're like, well, you're going to have to fight this corridor committee. And I was like, well, come fight me. It's, <laughs> it's going right in the middle. And it did. It's yeah. like right in the front entrance, right where people can see. Mm-hmm. And it's a big shining gold star. Yeah. Such a lovely display. Um, and how long did it take you? To- it was about uh, two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> it took a long time. See the perseverance here in this young girl. <laughs> I love it. It does take that, doesn't it? It takes the determination. It does. And that's pretty quick. So you annoy a lot of people, but it's okay. You just smile and keep pushing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take no for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see this in my lifetime. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then you've been to Afghanistan six times. I have. And then very recently. Can yeah. you tell us about your last trip there? Yes. Um, I went in May and June 
this time, four of my trips have been with the U.S. government, uh, twice with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and once with the Secretary of Defense. Uh, and then I've gone twice on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I worked for the Afghan government, so with them. And then this time in June, I went over because um, for multiple reasons. I had a feeling in my heart it would be the last time I can go for a while because we had already learned that the U.S. was pulling out their troops. And I knew it would most likely be unsafe for me to go, yeah. even though it was probably unsafe for me to go in June. Yeah. But, yeah, I knew that it wouldn't be happening anytime soon. So um also when I went in December, it was there's been a lot of God things in my life. But it's also been one of my mottos in D.C. is if you don't ask, the answers always no. And I'm also <laughs> not afraid to ask. And so. I ended up giving a speech at the presidential palace in Afghanistan with the secretary of defense um, and the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador and several other people. And I just told them, you know, this country means the world to me because it is my heart. What happens to you happens to me, like happens to us. Mm -hmm. We've been partners for 20 years and my husband's blood is in your soil. And part of that as well is the Afghan people throughout the past six years have really given me part of my heart back. I started learning all the good that had happened in the country, which this is the first time I'm really talking about it since Kabul fell. Um, But they had more women in parliament than we had in Congress. You know, last year alone, a million kids entered school, 40 percent of them girls. Mm. And, you know, the month before I had gone to Afghanistan, the Taliban had just bombed a little girls school and killed 186 school girls Mm. carrying their books. It was just pure evil. And so I think as Americans, a lot of times we forget the humanity of who these people are and that we are just lucky to be born here in America, Mm -hmm. that we literally just won the lottery that we could be born here. Obviously, being a gold star wife, I know it also comes with the sacrifice of many who have fought and died for that. But, you know, these people are wonderful people that have been caught in war for hundreds of years. And they, they just gave me part of my heart back. And so when I went in December... I gave a speech and President Ghani uh, had met me multiple times before and he had said he had two requests of the United States. And I had never been in that high level of a meeting. It was quite an honor for me. But one of them was specifically for me. He said, can Jane Horton come back and help me with a program for our veterans and our Gold Star families? And I was like, of course, you know. So I wanted to make good on that promise and I wanted to go back over and see because the Afghan forces we're losing about uh, 15 to 20,000 service members a year. Mm. And again, we've lost 2,400 in 20 years. They were losing 15 to 20,000 a year. So you mm. have all these kids without a dad. Mm. We wanted to make sure they could go to school. And so, um, yeah, I went back over. I flew in commercial airlines. I actually wore a, a burqa going over, so you couldn't recognize I was so American with blonde hair. Um, and so... Got to go to orphanages, love on some kids, got to go shopping, uh, you know, took me a while to like warm up to those ideas. I wasn't just going wild in Afghanistan. You know, I talked to a lot, of, <laughs> talked to a lot of different uh, generals and people that I knew and asked their advice, you know, and obviously it's up to me. It's risky. Nobody can guarantee your life. Right. Um, I actually was told that I had a 15% chance of getting a car bomb. They were going around putting something called a V-bit, a vehicle-borne IED, which is a magnetic bomb. Um, and I just finally, like, told my parents. They supported me 100%, um, which was really special because they don't fully understand all this stuff I'm doing. And they're like, we feel like it's going to be a great trip for you. 
Yeah. I finally just told my mom, I was like, I'm going. And I said, why be a Christian if you can't trust your God? Yes, absolutely. Um, Jane said her favorite scripture is Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And I'm going to read it because I think this fits. Well, you're, you're, I know the last 10 years of your life, but I'm telling you, the, the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And you know, you would have to be a prayer to, to fly over to Afghanistan, <laughs> right? Especially the tension of, of all that was going on this, this yeah. last year. Do you want to know what though? <laughs> For me, it's more just constantly like, talking to God in my head or constantly just thinking things through and just trusting. It's more, it's not, I think a lot of Christians think that everything like, yes, it's good to sit down and meditate and just be alone with Jesus. But also the Bible talks about being in a constant state of communication with him. Yes. And it it is a lot of that. And it's really weird. You know, it's a really weird, special, crazy time when you literally know that you may die. You know, I didn't, and it sounds really dramatic, but I really didn't know if I would die. Yeah. Um, and, but I still knew I was supposed to go. And so I always make this playlist of Christian songs, a lot of Hillsong worship and, um, the words, you know, are just wonderful. One of them is, um, Peace by Hillsong, um, or Prince of Peace. And I just listen to it the whole time and pray for peace and just trust God. Cause mm-hmm. it's scary. It's well, scary yeah. when you have people staring at you. They know you're not from there. Obviously sure. they're just staring at, it doesn't mean they're bad people, but for right. me, yeah. So, yeah. and you went by yourself. I did. That's what it makes me admire more <laughs> because, you know, I usually don't even go on a trip by myself in the United States <laughs> and here she's, you know, flying to Afghanistan. I did have people once I got there, you know, I'm yeah. not going to pretend like I was just like wandering around. Where do I stay tonight? <laughs> right. No, no. So I did, you know, I did have escorts and I did have a lot of VIP treatment as well, but in Afghanistan, like that's iffy, you know, like people, so basically this is pretty cool. When I got there, I wore a full burqa. And when I got to Afghanistan, I flew in from Istanbul, Turkey. Um, they pulled me off the plane um, and took me down the steps where usually the carry-ons come up. And there was a car waiting for me under. And they took me to a VIP area. Oh. But also that also puts a target on your back. Yeah. So like you'll talk to different people and they'll be like, okay, you shouldn't be in like up armored vehicles because people will know you're someone important and they'll put a bomb on your car or look for you or whatever. Yeah. So they say you either need to look like a normal Afghan and just drive a taxi <laughs> right? Yeah. or like go full on complete up armored. So it's a, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot there, a lot to think about. And I was just finally like, I was really scared my first couple of days, really scared, especially from my drive to the airport to where I was staying. But then I was just like, I, the Afghan people told me you'll be fine. You know, we forget. Every time I go, I go through this mental game of the U.S. military. Is this too much? No, no, not <laughs> okay. at all. The U.S. military, it's a war zone. So they look at it as a war zone because mm-hmm. it is. So yeah. they look at it from that angle. But it's also people's homes. Like six million people wake up every day and go to work in Kabul. It's this country with the city yeah and so i've lots of afghan friends and they're like you know you'll be fine but the military's like you won't be fine don't do that but i finally just decided to trust my heart trust god trust my gut and Mm -hmm. also trust the locals you know they're not going to take me somewhere obviously nobody can guarantee your life in a war zone but they're not gonna you know they're gonna do whatever they can to protect me it's actually in their culture 
Yeah. Um, and so I did. I wanted to see Afghanistan. And the other part that was really neat about this trip is in Afghanistan, there's something called fighting season. And so from about April to October is fighting season. And actually the Taliban and the Taliban's not the only terrorist group. Chris was actually killed by a group that is actually in the news now called the Haqqani Network. They are based, uh, funded by Pakistan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fact. And so I'm laughing because it's a little bit of politics in there, but it's not, it's facts. So there's a lot of stuff going on with that right now. They are being put in positions of government in Afghanistan as we speak. So he was killed by the Connie network. Um, but, uh, I don't know where I was going with this. All I was saying was I went during fighting season this time. Uh, the Taliban actually hibernates in the winter. So oh, that's right. Fighting they, season. Yeah. So it's still dangerous, but in the summer is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. They go full force in the summer. And so going in May and June was in the middle of fighting season. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't realize this time about Afghanistan is it was green. It was beautiful and green and there's roses everywhere. It was so beautiful. So yeah, this trip was very, very special. Even, you know, you have reached out to some who have come here and helped them and uh, some of the refugees. Yep. I have a refugee that's living with me right now. She's uh not with me currently at the moment, but she's been with me for five weeks and will be living with me, which is a great honor. Um, she's wonderful. So yeah. I was able to help get her out when Kabul fell, um, and have been working on a lot of the resettlement efforts and, um, helping get a lot of friends out. Yeah. Wonderful work. I'm so proud of you. Thanks, Scarlett. <laughs> I appreciate that. The amazing woman right here. And, you know, thank God that she is. But I do want her uh, actions and words to influence you to do what you're called to do. And that's really what this program is all about, is inspiring women of all ages, really. I think it's great to speak to the younger women because I think sometimes we think we're too young to do anything. Um, you were 24 when this all started. That's really young. I know in my life, I started pastoring a church at 21. And people said, oh, y'all are too young. You're too, you know. But when God's with you, you just need to do it. Yeah. You don't need to wait until now I'm 61 and people are saying, you're too old. <laughs> so don't let them talk you out of it because of age, right? It's none of their business. None of their business. <laughs> do what you're called to do. And just sometimes you just have to start. Jane started. She went to Washington, D.C. She made that move. She made that uh, those steps of faith. And so I encourage you today to do that same thing. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or do you want to speak to any of them personally? As Scarlett said, you know, when God calls you to do something, I will, you know, something that's been on my heart lately is I have a friend that's a hairdresser and she told me that she named her daughter um, an ethnic name that means purpose. And she said, I named her that because I want her to have a purpose in life. Oh, that's neat. And honestly, it kind of broke my heart. I was like, everyone has a purpose in life. Like we all do, you know, and I think we get caught up in all the problems in the world and we're like, what can we do about it? And I strongly feel that God created us all to be there to heal the wounds of a certain issue set or to be the leader in a certain arena. And so each and every one of us has something that we are supposed to champion in this life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's scary. Yeah, people won't always agree with you. Yes, you'll have to stick your neck out. But that's how true fulfillment in life comes. That's your purpose that God created you for. And that's, you know, also our responsibility, I feel, as Americans and those that live in a free world is to continue to be involved and engaged. And the best way you can honor, you know, 
Chris and those that have fought, bled, and died is to continue to serve and to continue to engage in the country that they gave their life for. And I do feel as Christians, we need to be the light and we do need to be involved. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, just the, the simplicity of that is vote, right? That's the probably the foundation is make sure that you vote and make sure that you find out who your senators are, who your congressmen yeah. are, and uh, be in, you know, state level and, and even federal. And then also just local government. I mean, we need to get involved in uh, finding out about who's running for mayor and who's yeah. city councilman and who's the uh, education superintendent and, you know, find out about these things and be involved. And I, I think you've done such a wonderful job of being involved I mean, persisting. And uh, I'm sure you've had challenges, Jane. <laughs> Lots of challenges. And I appreciate all the prayers that many of you that do know Chris's story have prayed for me throughout the years. And I strongly feel I wouldn't be where I am without those prayers. Mm-hmm. And I ask for more because I am going through new life transition as well. Well, we will hold you up. We love you and we appreciate you so much. And, you know, if they want to give get Chris's uh, bracelet, yeah. there is a website that they can go to. It's just www.hortonbracelet.com. Okay. But oh, it's right there on the screen. <laughs> oh, wonderful. But there is a tradition back from Vietnam where um, service members who lost someone in combat will wear a bracelet honoring them. Mm-hmm. And Chris's has kind of gone viral. There are several presidents, several uh, presidential candidates, mm-hmm. members of Congress, celebrities. People that have worn it, I've given it to everyone I've seen. I know David has as well. Um, And it's just to remind people that this life that we live came with a cost. And so we better live the best life we can. Yes. Yes. So some of you even asked me how to get that bracelet. So there it is right there. And um, wear it and remember. And um, he was, I only knew Chris as a a young boy, you know, and Nick. and, And of course, Tinley was a baby, I think, when I was around him a little bit. But, um, oh, to hear the stories of his life and what, like you said, honorable man he, he was. And, um, we appreciate his service and we appreciate you and your service, Jane. We thank God for you. And, um, if you, if you want to get in touch with her, email us and we'll give, you know, her information, email, et cetera, to you. And, um, cause I'm telling you, she's an inspiration. But anyway, well, we'll close this today. And again, we thank you. Thanks, Scarlett. It's an honor to be on with you. Well, thank you. And um, for those of you who are listening to Women of Substance all the time, we want to um, encourage you to tell others about it and spread the word, because I think that uh, the quality of, of ministry here is um, is very high because of the, the quality of the women that we're interviewing. And you can really... Uh, gain a lot of wisdom just by listening to others so god bless you and we'll see you next time well thank you for tuning in today to uh this podcast we have another one coming up in fact it's every other week the first and third friday hopefully this has spoken to you if you would like to we have a magazine 
It's called Grace and Faith Journal, and it comes out once a quarter, and we'd love to send that to you. It has interesting articles, and then it tells what we're doing at Horton Ministries International to help people and to minister people around the world. If you want to email us at office at scarlethorton.com, then you can uh, give us your address. We can send you our Grace and Faith magazine. And if you're in Tampa, Florida, come see us at Grace Harvest Church. We pastor a local church here. Uh, but we mainly want to pray for you uh, and encourage you. So, uh, again, if you need prayer, email us for prayer. We'd love to do that. And uh, tune in next time. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.